0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this This is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol radio at aol.com slash podcasting this is security now with steve gibson episode 132 for february 21st 2008 Listener feedback number 35. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro security gateway on the web at www.astaro.com and by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com/securitynow and by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. It's time for security now. Everybody's favorite podcast about protecting yourself against the bad guys on the internet. Here he is, the good guy, Mr. Steve Gibson. Hey,
1: Steve. <laughs> hey, Leo. You know, I think this is everyone's favorite podcast. Well, well you get a lot of positive uh, mail. Is I that what you say? That really, really, yeah, yeah. I really do. I just uh, for these Q and A episodes, I get to read through the feedback that we receive and. You know, I, I, you know, one of these days, I don't think I'll ever retire, but I would love to do nothing more than be able to read all of the feedback. <laughs> just read that your we mail. Can. I mean, every time <laughs> I check it, there's 600 pieces of email in the security now folder. It's like, oh God, I can't, I just <laughs> can't read and reply. So I, but I want everyone to know who writes, how much I appreciate the feedback we do receive. Okay. And I do try to like rush out little quick replies when there's something that I want to reply to, but I don't want to use it on, uh, on the show. So anyway, I do what I can, and I, and I really do, really do encourage people and, uh, and thank them for, for sending their feedback to grc.com slash feedback. Yes, indeed. We thank you very much. It's always nice
0: to get so much positive feedback for uh, the stuff we do. So, And I, I say that I extend that to the entire network. Now, this is a Q&A episode, and we're going to get to it, We got, uh, we got uh, 12 questions,
1: right? And we do have two fun ones at the end. The uh, I think we got the, the 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 most clever hack and the Tremendous great observation. observation
0: of the week and the hack of the week. <laughs> cool hack of the week. That sounds yep. good. All right. Well, we'll get to those in a second. I do want to remind everybody that this show is brought to you by Audible.com. I want to encourage people to take a look at Audible.com, a great place to get your audio books for quick download. My mom just called up. I was talking to her and she said... Oh, have you heard Alan Bennett's shows on the BBC? And I said, oh, I wish I could hear them. Well, wait a minute. Let me check. Sure enough, they're on, they're on audible.com, uh, which is really great. I mean, that's, it's not just books. It's a whole variety of stuff. Alan Bennett is a humor, a very funny writer, British writer. And uh, uh, a lot, I guess he uh, does these things on BBC, and they show up in the radio TV program section. Uh, but some of them are kind of long, two and a half hours, two hours, 13 minutes. So they're kind of almost book length just a wonderful selection of stuff let me recommend if you're interested in audible that you uh, take advantage of our free trial offer all you have to do is go to audible.com actually audiblepodcast.com audiblepodcast.com slash security now and when you sign up there you get a, a coupon for a free book so you can you can pick a book and there're 45,000 plus to choose from so pick a pick a book if you want some help we make recommendations on all the shows. Um, so that's one way you can also go. They have these lists of lists where staff favorites, uh, the Today Show book club, the Oprah book club, um, you know, for dog lovers, <laughs> specialty stores, author interviews. So they they know that it's hard sometimes when you have so many wonderful things to choose from to, to pick a book. They have lists of bestsellers. They have a, fir- a great first listens section now, which is for people who are just starting out on Audible because uh, so many people have started on Audible. I think thanks to us this year. Big growth so there are some good suggestions there com slash security now we do thank them so much for their support and we encourage you if you haven't started listening to audible books to give it a try you're gonna you're gonna love it audible slash security now are oh, you want to go right into the question Steve do you have a uh, addenda? Well, the good
1: news- The good news is it has been a relatively quiet week uh, in terms of security disasters. Good. uh, And we have a lot to cover, so I don't want to take too much time, but I wanted to mention a couple things that I've just sort of been sort of buzz that's in the air. Um, There is increasing, increasing thought about requiring encryption on different things on corporate databases containing personal information. Um, In fact, uh, there's i I remember seeing a a blurb somewhere abroad um some country was considering requiring government laptops to all be encrypted Mm. so you know it's sort of just a general movement in a good direction they get lost and stolen so often for crying
0: out loud they really ought to be encrypting that secret stuff
1: yep and of course um last week's show we've got a lot of questions about whole drive encryption because last week's uh conversation about uh, the free CompuSec product. And next week's show, we're going to do uh, TrueCrypt version 5. We uh, haven't right. talked about TrueCrypt since 06. And, of course, uh, as many people know, uh, TrueCrypt version 5 adds whole drive encryption. So that's very topical. Um, another nice bit of news, we, we had talked about um, the, the stories that ISPs were interfering with their customers' actions, whatever they were, that uh, um, uh, one of the large carriers was, for example, interrupting torrent downloads and things. Um, A couple of U.S. representatives have introduced uh, what they call their Internet Freedom Preservation Act, which is a formal net neutrality law, which would be a really good thing, because essentially it means that that the ISP can't mess around with the data. They've got to treat it all the same which is really good. Uh, one other little bizarre bit of news that I ran across, I thought our listeners would get a kick out of. Uh, and this sort of falls in the category of classic uh, security and obscurity. You know, the old phrase is that uh, you, that you can't rely on obscurity for security. Um, it turns out that a German firm has built an a computerized unshredder. Mm. This thing is a conveyor belt that can scan up to 10,000 little itty-bitty bits of paper at once. Oh, my goodness. And reassemble shredded oh. documents. Oh, my goodness. Even the cross-cut ones? Yes. I mean, little itty-bitty oh, bits of paper. And so, goodness. you know what I mean? I've got a cross-cut shredder, and I'm I'm, you know, diligently aware of issues of identity theft. And so I don't throw things away that have any information about me on them. You're sure. You know, I, I just run them. I stick them in a the little slot and it grumbles around for a minute and then it turns them into confetti. Well, I mean, what what a perfect example of of of, you know, non security, essentially it is it is obscuring the document by chopping it up in bits but clearly, with the right technology, you just dump this whole bin into some shaker that puts the bits out on a on a on a treadmill, and uh, and a computer scans it and reassembles them. Now that's so, a fairly
0: expensive operation. I doubt you, it's going to be widespread. But if there's enough money in identity
1: theft, I guess somebody could set it up. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, th- these things all start being expensive, and then they get cheaper yeah. over time. Wow. So. You know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not, <laughs> obviously, uh, I guess that means that uh, after you shred, then you want to separate your documents or your, your, your confetti into 10 separate bins, you know, and drop them off at, di- at different locations or something.
0: Oh my anyway. goodness, or burn it.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I've been sort of thinking about uh your comment, Leo, last week about the the closed source nature of Free mm-hmm. uh, Compusec versus the open source nature of of TrueCrypt, and of course, I I I certainly like the fact that TrueCrypt is open source. But my my sense was that maybe we came off a little too negative about the closedness of of closed security solutions. Um, and what I wanted to comment, I guess, is that. It would be a shame if someone didn't use something that was valuable to them for security because it was not open source. And I wanted to observe that the vast majority of software we use is, well, Windows users at least, is closed source. I mean, Windows itself is closed source. All of the firewall, you know, the personal firewall products are closed source you know and and we rely on them and trust them now i guess the 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 point is that when something is closed source you're relying on the reputation of the closer of the source you know the the author of the product whereas in theory in some, when something is open source you are you're able to examine it and look at it now what most people of course do is expect that other people have looked at the open source and examined it but, you know, in the real world, we've seen instances where everyone assumes somebody else is vetting the open source code and no one ends up doing so. Or that is to say that, you know, analysis have shown that open source source code in terms of inadvertent vulnerabilities is not necessarily any more secure than closed source code. So I just sort of wanted to say let's, you know, let's not discard closed source solutions just because they're closed source recognizing that we are we are depending upon the reputation of the the source of the code to be to have integrity and the best interests of its users at at heart there's a little bit of
0: a difference if you're using a firewall um you're you know you're not trying to protect against say uh, government, government intrusion necessarily. You're worried about hackers. If you're using encryption uh, and the encryption was designed without your knowledge by the NSA and sold through CompuSec, um, that's a very different thing.
1: Yeah. Although CompuSec, for example, is using AES, standard Reindahl. That's what they 2PC. say. How do you know? Right. Well, true.
0: true. So, so my point is that encryption, I never use a closed source encryption product. And I I, I think that... I think it's a little nah, I, risky to use a closed source encryption product. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use a closed source antivirus or a closed source firewall. I don't think that's the same level of issues. And you're right. You have to trust. But I'm on encryption, I, there's enough good open source encryption stuff. I don't see a need to. Use right, source. I guess is my right. point.
1: Well, and I have to say, I am so impressed True with TrueCrypt. Is good. Yeah, I've been. I well, I mean, with the whole drive encryption of TrueCrypt, right. and that's think, the issue. Yeah, if there were no whole drive encryption in TrueCrypt, and it
0: weren't or it weren't as good as Free then I could see that.
1: Yes, and uh, I'm. You know, we'll be talking about it in depth next week. But I'm. I have to say, I'm. You know, we've had a lot of listeners from last week who did jump onto free uh, you know, onto Free and are using it and liking it. Uh, and some uh, listening to the end of our show where we talked about the fact that TrueCrypt had added this, um, have been working with TrueCrypt, and we'll be reading their postings yeah, I'll uh, be curious. right now.
0: Yeah, I'll be very curious. Um, one other story, and I'm just going to addre- leave this with you, and I'll send you a link to it. Interesting article, in, uh, and this is more in your other area of expertise, in ZDNet by a guy named Robin Harris, who writes a storage blog called Persistence of Memory, and he's talking about something called latent disk errors, or actually latent sector errors, LSE, and uh, how larger drives, which you've always said (laughs) seemed like a bad idea, larger drives are actually um, getting some serious data corruption due to LSE, and there's not much you can do about it. Um, have you heard about this stuff? It's very interesting. Uh, no,
1: I can't imagine what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure when, when, when I read it, I'll go, oh, yeah, okay. But I you know. From, oh, I'm sure from, from... you
0: will. This, is, uh, this was a, um, it comes from a vendor, okay. Um, but uh, uh, the, he works at a, a network uh, attached storage vendor, network appliance. Uh-huh. And so they're studying the reliability of drives. And they published something called an analysis of latent sector area errors in disk drives interesting study that says eight and a half they they just they make a distinction between consumer drives and business drives which uh which they call something uh kind of odd um like enterprise drives they call them near-line drives i'm not sure what that the difference is between that and i don't know a near-line drive is a consumer drive an enterprise drive is a high-end drive they say 8.5 percent of all the consumer drives developed lse uh including size age vendor uh, problems errors these all make a difference and they say this is why desktop raid or cheap raid with cheap disks is a bad idea
1: anyway i'm going to send you the link and i'd love yeah. to get your impression on it cool i'll definitely read yeah. it and we'll let our listeners yeah. know yeah cuz this is, uh, this spe- is another- speaking of disk errors i had a funny uh, uh little quick anecdote here this one caught my eye because the subject line was damn you spin right <laughs> Uh, Eric Grilock wrote, uh, he said, hi, Steve, I picked up a copy of spin a while ago when I first started listening to security. Now it's come in handy a few times since then, but never has it frustrated me as much as it did a few months ago. And so I'm reading this. I'm thinking, uh, okay. Uh, he says one of the computers at work, a point of sale terminal got the dreaded unmountable boot volume error. Given that it was needed desperately that night, i got out spin right and did a run a few hours later the drive was running like new again and the night went by without a hitch so i'm still thinking oh, okay and he, <laughs> and he says i still had my suspicions about the drive though as he says and as the computer was still under warranty i decided to call dell to get a replacement when i called them the next day Spinwright had worked too well uh-oh I could not convince the Dell representative was that, problem. The, that the drive had <laughs> failed in the first place. He says, this drive's fine." <laughs> after months of waiting, two days ago, the drive failed again. Uh, once more, right before a busy night. But this time, we called Dell first and got the new drive sent. Then we ran spin right and all was well again. Curse you, Steve, for making a product that works too well. And he says, cheers, Eric. And he says, P.S., I know that using my personal copy of Spinrite for work was bad form, but I've got a site license in my budget for next fiscal. Oh, that's good. So, absolutely. And I'm happy to trade a uh, a use of Spinrite for a, a great success story any day. So, <laughs> well, that wait a
0: minute. Be careful. What you- <laughs> uh,
1: okay, <laughs>
0: <laughs> buy the product, folks. <laughs> buy the product. And we and we uh, we should reiterate now as uh, as more and more drives now SSD drives are going out. Um, Apple now is selling one with the MacBook Air. Of course, it's really expensive. Um, and I see other computers coming out with these solid state drives that you do not recommend Spinrite
1: on solid state drives. Correct. You do, it will it is. It is made for, I mean, intimately made for the technology of magnetic recordable media. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense on a CD-ROM or a DVD or, I mean, it's, it's about the magnetic domain. That's where Spinrite's technology right. it really does work. Right, right, right. Um, okay, let me see.
0: Anything else? Oh, I sent you the LSE thing. I'll be, be really curious. If Spinrite can work with those, I think the problem with latent these latent sector errors is that the, the, even the system doesn't know about them.
1: They're just, well, I don't know what they are. I mean, they've they've yeah. made up a term. I mean, no, I've never heard the term. So then okay, I've good. you know, I, I would have heard it if it, yeah, if I it, think was, you would know about it. So if that's it was a common term. So they yeah. made up something. I'll find out what they're
0: talking about, and we'll and I'll definitely we'll talk about it again. They're transient errors, basically. But we've talked about that before, where the ECC will fix an error.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only kind of transient error I could see would be there is checking on the cable. That is, the there is, there is a CRC test that the drive performs on the on the transfer between the drive and the motherboard through the cable. And that can be transient. And CRC is not a super robust right. test. So but it's ECC possible. ECC is, of course. ECC is really this is, robust. This is what
0: they say. This error occurs when a particular disk sector cannot be read or written or when there's an uncorrectable ECC error. And, of course, at that point, any data previously stored in the sector is lost. But you, you, that's what Spinrite does is find it, find those places and fixes them. And fixes them if it yeah. can read it. Now, if it can't read it, you, you are going to lose that data, right?
1: Uh, no, that's one of the cool things that Spinrite does. And this does bear on one of the questions we had today, because people were wondering about what about Spinrite and encrypted hard drives? Mm. Um, Spinrite is able, and it's one of its best tricks, to perform a partial sector recovery. So it it is. And that's what this whole Dynastat thing is in Spinrite, where it kicks in if it's unable to after trying all kinds of tricks to get a perfect read and it's able to accept as much of the sector as is available which might mean you lose a few bytes but you know it's for example and that's in the middle of a directory you could still get all of the you know the rest of the branches off the directory and get a huge amount of data recovered so so spinrite's able to do partial sector reads which is you know really handy that's good all right Good. Well, I'm sending you this,
0: and I, maybe we will maybe we can talk more about this. It's an interesting yeah. subject. But right now, we have plenty of questions from you, our viewers. Glenn Edward in Nottingham, or listeners, since you really can't see us. Glenn <laughs> Edward in Nottingham, Maryland is not, I repeat, not patch happy. Dear Steve, I downloaded and tried to apply the latest Microsoft security patches of this month. I have never before had had so many failures of such patches. No damage to my system but at least three of the five patches failed to complete. According to the logs, either some system-slash-current-control-set subdirectory wasn't present, or something, iis underscore www wasn't of the proper value. I wonder if this is because I have several Windows XP services turned off for improving security, or because I haven't applied all the patches since SP2, or only the ones for correcting security flaws. Are these latest patches expecting a certain state of Win XP that not everyone has? Has Microsoft created them without accounting for more than one configuration of WinXP or WinXP Pro? Should I worry that these patches aren't in effect if there isn't something present for them to patch? I've already checked the knowledge base on these patches, and there's nothing mentioned about downloading something to alter or supplement the system before the patches are applied.
1: Um, He gives the patch numbers. I don't think we need to give those out. No. This is a really good question because it reflects a, well, it reflects my having given up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um I mean the the gurus uh, in the PC world who are our listeners will probably relate to sort of the general annoyance that that and I'm sure you will Leo that, w- w- that was first met by Microsoft's automatic patching idea. You know, the idea it was just sort of a bend over and and let Microsoft do to your computer <laughs> whatever it wants to. Right. And, you know, those of us who like to, who actually used to know what every file was on our hard drive said, eh, no, you're not reaching into my machine and doing things. So I well remember when I was sort of making a partial compromise is like, well, I'm going to review these. And I mean, even now I don't use express. I use custom, that custom option, just because I just kind of want to look over the list before it does it to me and, you know, make sure that I want all those things. And for like for a while, I was resisting Silverlight. It's like, no, I do not want Microsoft's, you know, attempt to do their own flash thing. You know, but every time here you want Silverlight, take Silverlight. (laughs) You need this. You know, and the same is true for many of these things. I've got a, a friend of mine. A, a contemporary. In fact, you, you you've met him, uh, Leo Bob, Bob yeah, is a yeah, yeah. is an old world you know computer guy, and and we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He says he was grumbling about something about Microsoft's patching, and I and I'd said you know really Bob you you haven't given up yet, and he said what do you mean? I said oh I just let Microsoft do what it wants. I just it's easier, and frankly, and this is what really bears on Glenn's point is. I do think that this system is becoming more brittle. I've had some machines that are just always think they need a certain patch and I try to let them have it and they won't take it and it just it's always saying it needs this patch and I finally got annoyed with it. It was one of my little laptops and so I did some research and found that there's a tool that you can get to sort of remove things that are stuck somehow in Windows Update, and... Oh, that's was good. What's
0: the name of that tool? I'd like to get that.
1: I'll, I'll track it down, because I still have it on that machine. I get I this call
0: there. a lot from people who say Windows Update failed, and it's always a different place. I think this guy's assuming that there's something particular about these patches. It's not. It's a Correct. general problem. You're exactly right. It's brittle.
1: Well, yes, and, I mean, frankly... It's a daunting problem. I oh, mean, yeah. when you when you think about – I'm amazed, frankly, that it works as well as it does. When you have all the interacting, overlapping code replacement – I mean, I don't know how Microsoft manages this, what is fundamentally a disaster in progress, um, but pretty much they do. So my point is, as I said – I've given up. I I just say, look, um, Microsoft is clearly developing patches, assuming that the machine that it's patching is already patched current or to some level. And frankly, I can't wait for Service Pack 3, as we've talked about for XP, because it will it will resolve all of this phenomenal torrent of of individual fixing of things, which you have to do. When you install a new machine and give it Service Pack 2 in order to get up to pre-Service Pack 3 level, so you know, my feeling is, I, I still go into custom mode just to sort of survey what it what they're going to do to me this month. But you know, I think I'm better <laughs> off just saying, okay, fine, go and and hope for the best because that is the that is the code base against which microsoft is developing this and uh, as we've agreed brittle is probably the best word for it well you know it's funny because uh, i'm on the front
0: lines of this doing the radio show i mean we i take callers every week who have problems and uh, you know it used to be you could get a tool you could fix it you could clean it up you could you know and this is not just patches it's spyware and viruses and all of this stuff increasingly this system is so complex so brittle that the only option most users have is to start over. Yeah, and uh, you know when you when when Glenn writes about how you know these three patches are blocked, it's not those three patches. It's not exactly. It's something about your system, and and the problem is that when Microsoft has to work in this hugely homogeneous environment, I mean uh, heterogeneous environment where every yep. system's unique. Yep, hardware and software. Every system's unique. So. Uh, they can't, you know, they're out of, the only way to make it not unique is to start over, format the drive, put your system recovery discs or windows on there, patch, 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 right up to the current patch, and then re-add your software. And I'm I'm afraid
1: that people are doing that more and more. Yeah, well, they're giving up. You got to, though. What is, what yeah. is your option? That's exactly right. Otherwise, you're just you're, you're Don Quixote tilting at windmills right. and just saying no, no, no. I'm gonna, you know, I want to understand everything that is gonna happen. It's like, uh, good luck with that. Geeks have a tendency in that direction. They're you know, they yeah. they, they
0: are Don Quixotes. I mean, that's that's uh-huh. we are. That's what we want to do. But in this case, I think if you're gonna use Windows, <laughs> you gotta bend have- over, bend over, <laughs> yeah. Don and Ventura has a quick Kindle question. Steve, in all of your talk about the Kindle, I don't recall you addressing its suitability for reference and technical material, whether it's manuals, maybe the latest O'Reilly book. Does it work well for that kind of book? Is searching effective? Could it replace MSDN? Oh, that's an interesting idea.
1: Um, yes. Uh, the reason I, I saw the question and I liked it, but I, it also bore on something I had done recently. Um, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm loving my Kindle. It is my constant companion t- for at the, to Starbucks in the morning. When, when I, when I read the stuff that I subscribe Straight for news, to. isn't it? Yeah. It, oh, it's fantastic yeah. for news. Yeah. And in fact, there was a little, there was a little kermuffle. Is that the word? Kerfuffle. Uh, ker- kerfuffle. Uh, <laughs> on MSNBC, uh, which I watch every afternoon when I'm on my stair climber, uh, that involved, um, Oh God, I can't remember his name now. David. Uh, Gergen. No, uh, he's one of their frequent guys. No, it's the it's a it's the guy that, that Chris Matthews has on who does the uh, Schuster, Schuster Dave Schuster. Uh, he came on and apologized. Oh, the uh, Schuster incident. Yeah, yes, yes, and you know for for making a comment about Chelsea Clinton and how the Clinton campaign was using her, and based on his apology, I was guessing. What he had probably said. Right. But anyway, so the point is the next morning there, I saw a little blurb about it and I thought, oh, I, you know, I felt like I had like missed that news event because it was then several days before. So I put Schuster mm-hmm. into the Kindle's little search deal and bang, there was Every reference to 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 Schuster and the and little snippets. I mean, it's exactly what you want. But so I mean, now, do you I do? You didn't do a web search. You did that. Uh, through... It was just all the content in Kindle is indexed, ah. and and so it indexes everything that comes in, and so that's why I love what. Basically, what's happening is every day. I, I subscribe to Salon and Slate and Wall Street so that's Journal. That's the key:
0: is you subscribe to all that stuff.
1: Yes, and so that's all coming in. It's building this news database, which is indexed. So anything that comes along that that I think of, that um, that um, that I want to know about, I'm able to do a search. It's like having my own little, you know. Off the web news search system. I mean, it, it's really
0: fantastic. I have to say, though, that to, in, in direct response to Don, the, many of the reference to technical works you want are not available for the Kindle. It's it's just what Amazon sells. Now you can convert it if you've got it in electronic form. If you've got a PDF, do you do you have you tried emailing documents to yourself? And how,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I I tried it initially to see if it would work and could work, and it sort of does. The the um, the free Moby Pocket version four point two converter, which you can get from Moby Pocket, it will convert text and docs and PDFs and other things into the uh the native Kindle PRC format. And so that's really the way to do it, I think. And and then then you've got control over it to a great degree.
0: I found some of them were unreadable. Sometimes the PDF wouldn't convert properly. Well and PDF, so
1: yeah, PDFs are not inherently a a text flowing right, format. Right. They're a page layout. Well, format. That's exactly what happened. I for instance, I had a bunch of documents
0: that I had to review for a meeting. One of which was a letter. They were all PDFs, but apparently for some reason in the PDF that letter was turned into an image, so it couldn't scale the fonts.
1: It it, it was always going to look small. Very good point. And some PDFs are scanned. Right. They're, they're made from a a, a a you know a a scanned text, and right. there you're just stuck. Right. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's it's not it's not, less than
0: ideal for reference, I think. Yep. You know, you might look at safari.oreilly.com. The Safari Online thing is fantastic. All the um it's not just O'Reilly, it's Addison Wesley, Sam's Prentice Hall, Q, my publisher, uh, Peach Pit, uh, New Writers, IBM Press, Macromedia, Adobe Press. They put all of their books online. You pay a fee for this. Searchable, bookmarkable. Uh if you're if it's tech books that you want as a reference and you can get to a browser. Of course, the browser and the Kindle is probably not good enough for this. Yeah, um, this uh, Safari is amazing. That's a really neat thing. But no, the Kindle's not ready. And I, I know why Don would like that. I mean, what if you're working on cars and you could get all the manuals that you needed in the Kindle? I mean, that'd be great. Yeah. be really nice. Derek Rainwater, he says he's in the middle of somewhere, Texas. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't care where you are, even if you're in the middle of somewhere. Expect a visit from Hillary and Barack any day now. <laughs> your recent website changes certainly make it more user-friendly. Nicely done. He likes uh, grc.com. He said he's in the midst of reading Simon Singh's The Codebook. That is a great book, which is so relevant to much of what you've discussed during the past few weeks. I'm getting more, de- much more detailed background information than, than you've got time to cover on the podcast. Well, of course, it's a, it's, a multi- it's a big book. I know Leo made a brief mention of it a long ago. You might want to recommend it to your listeners. By the way, I'm one of the many who enjoy hearing
1: you and Leo talk about the books you're reading as well as the Kindle. Thanks. Um, I did want to mention, he's one of many people who said, hey, Steve, I love what you've just done to the site. Um, what I've what just done do? is uh, I finally made time to put the um, script-free pure oh, CSS. Oh, there they are. Menu up. Yay. Yep. Yep. I'm going to do one more change to lock it to the top of the page so that the page scrolls underneath it so you don't have to go all the way back to the top to get the menu. Um, I'm in the middle of doing that at the moment, but... Uh, well, I really appreciated people discovering it on their own and saying, hey, you've got a menu on your yeah, site. Yeah, you needed this because it was always oh, hard maybe. to figure out where stuff was. This is great. Yeah. And people are discovering things they didn't know was there. It's like, hey, I didn't know you had that. It's right. like, eh, well, how would you know? <laughs> Look, un- under the freeware
0: alone, you've got one, two, three, four, five, 2, so you've got security, you've got utilities, you've got obsolete. You. I mean, this is great. I yeah. I didn't notice it either. just shows you how often. I was at GRC the other day looking at show notes, and you uh, and just put this up.
1: There's a search bar there too yeah i was i wasn 't sure whether I had read that particular Spinrite story in the uh, before because right. I, I it was familiar to me, but I thought i don 't remember right. so I just put in uh, one of the phrases in in the the story about the drive I put it in quotes and it said it found it in two places, <laughs> neither of which were Excellent. Elaine transcription of that so it's like okay i know i haven't read that before so we also have site-wide search too it's really it's really great it's that's it, you did a nice job very well done thank you
0: as for us the code book really a good book there is another one that's a classic called the code breakers both of them are available on uh, on amazon i was just going to check to see if audible had uh, uh the simon singh book that's more uh accessible i have to say it's he's a good writer and uh it's not as technical the code breakers is a history of, uh, encryption that was actually, it was fairly old. No, unfortunately it's not on the, uh, but it's, it's like really thick and heavy. And if you're really into encrypto, uh, in uh, the Codebreakers is an amazing book, amazing book. Uh, I don't, I'll find out who wrote that Brian key Huntsville, Alabama wonders about the value of obscurity. I think you were talking about this a second ago, security through obscurity. I'm a long time listener. Love the show. My question is this, you're always talking about how hard it is to crack encryption you say to break RSA would take X number of attempts. Cracking an algorithm with a 128-bit key would take Y number of attempts. And with a 256-bit key, it would take Z number of attempts. But would not a practical crack theoretically take all of these added together? What I mean is this. If the NSA, the spooks at Fort Meade, grabbed an encrypted piece of data... By the way, we have many listeners who work at the NSA, and just a tip of the hat to them. And I'm not against the NSA, and I don't, I'm i not just... the. This is the, this is the, you know, these are the guys who have the best crypto bracket. We presume the best, best crypto breaking technology. If the NSA grabbed an encrypted piece of data on the internet and wanted to break it, would they not have to try RSA? Try. Ah, there's the key word. Try RSA with 32 bit key. RSA with 64 bit key. RSA with 128 bit key. Blowfish and on and on and on. Doesn't the fact that they don't know what was used to encrypt it add an even higher level of difficulty, astronomically higher I've never heard you mention this. I thought if it were true it'd be a good point to make. That being said, I would not think that if one encryption method became the standard then or I would think that if one encryption method became the standard then not using it would actually make you even more secure. In fact, it it would be less secure, wouldn't it, if everybody used the same encryption? Is that true? Do you can you just
1: look at a file and say, "Oh, I know how this was encrypted?" No, and that's I mean, it's a good point and Brian's right. I've never touched on that. I mean, pseudo-random data, which is just noise, is truly that i mean it is noise it is pseudo random data there is no way for uh, in given that anything was properly encrypted and all these different things we've been talking about are are good crypto strengths the result of data coming out of as we've said many times out of a cryptographically strong cipher is pseudo-random data. It is, I mean, it is just, it looks like static. It has no meaning. There's nothing in there. So, I mean, he makes a very good point and but it highlights sort of an issue of obscurity and security. From my standpoint and the standpoint of, of any, you know, formal cryptographer, crypto person, we assume that that an attacker knows everything about where this came from knows and 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 this is standard sort of crypto dogma is we assume for example that rindal aes well it's it's open and published and that's a strength to it because it's allowed it to be really well understood and really well vetted by comparison for example the our friends at the NSA have historically tried to keep their ciphers secret. You know, the old, the um, the uh, clipper chip algorithm was secret. Right. And and the and it was a problem that they had because, you know, some things cannot be kept secret. You know, I keep talking about, for example, the problem with cell phone encryption is everyone's got a cell phone. And when we've talked about DRM, the fundamental problem, for example, with a, with a DVD player is that the consumer has to be able to decrypt it in order to watch it. So the decryption stuff is there. Well, someone is going to pry the lid off that chip and figure out what's going on, if just for curiosity's sake or because they want to. So so any kind of security that relies upon, fundamentally relies upon the bad guys not knowing something other than the key is important. Right. And so... And so 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 the point is it's true that all security relies on a secret being kept, but there you want to you want to understand what secret you are relying on being kept and which you are not. And so for example, if data were captured off the net, the example that Brian gives, well, so, so this is an SSL. Link right. well, so, someone capturing the data knows that it's going to to port four four three from a client to a server. So they pretty much know it's SSL. Right. And certainly, if they watch the whole conversation, they would see the SSL session getting set up. Even doing a, a man in the middle attack, they wouldn't be able to determine the key that is being shared for the encryption. But they would know, for example, a lot about that that conversation being set up the beauty for example of ssl is that it is safe even in the presence of somebody with perfect knowledge about the protocol the ciphers and everything that's happening and even still no one can crack it within as far as we know within a reasonable amount of time and we know we we understand really well why it's strong why it's strong security even in the face of that perfect knowledge. So, so you know, having pseudo-random data, it's very true. If it was just someone handed you, for example, a blob of, of ciphered data on a CD and you knew nothing about it, well, okay, that's Brian's point is you'd have a much harder time doing something with it than if you knew what cipher it was ciphered in. On the other hand, any cipher worth its salt is going to give you a hard time anyway. Harder so, than impossible is but, still, is not much harder. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. After it takes much longer than nine times the length of the life of the universe, right. it's like, okay, well, does it matter if it's nine or ten times the life of the universe? Well, yeah, when you send
0: a PGP encrypted email, it clearly says begin PGP block and, begin, and end it. I mean, it, you, you know it's PGP encrypted. It doesn't help. Right, <laughs> that's the point. So right. yes, it is harder, but you know you don't need it to be harder. It's already hard enough. <laughs> already hard enough. An anonymous sender from Calgary, Canada, says, "Thank you for the site updates." Oh, yep, I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate seeing the PPPV three pages up. That's the personal paper passwords. Perfect. And paper I, forgot, passwords.
1: I forgot to me- I forgot to mention that last week. Um, I finished all that Yay. for a long time, for several weeks. Ever since we talked about it, they had been. I'm going to get to that. Uh, So I invite our listeners back to grc.com slash PPP. Uh, It's it ended up being very cool. There's a form there where you can put in your own alphabet. You get to put in your own key. You can you can specify how long you want the the uh, uh, passcodes to be. And in fact, it's it's funny when I posted this, I said, "Hey, try putting in as the alphabet greater than hyphen and less than as those just just three symbols." And somebody wrote back in in our in our news group and said, "Wow, Steve, this is the first ever cryptographically strong ASCII art generator." <laughs> that's neat so it looks kind of cool huh yeah it really is it really came out nicely so it's done and we've got people are either have upgraded or uh, are upgrading their third-party open source implementations so that stuff is around anyway i'm sorry to interrupt you leo go on with your question ah yes he well you know
0: you're not interrupting me you're responding to that part now here's another Ah. part it's also nice to see the new scripting free pure css menu system in use I've been coming to this site for the last couple of years and wondered what other educational materials and resources there might be hiding in an obscure link somewhere. The new organization <laughs> will help a lot. You know, I have to apologize because I use uh, uh, CSS menus uh, on my site, and I do use a little bit of JavaScript. And uh, it's to determine if you're using Internet Explorer, because if you use IE, then the CSS, one little CSS thing doesn't work. Yep. And you have to modify it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm amazed, impressed that you got around it without JavaScript, though. That's pretty good.
1: Uh, well, I had to use some CSS hacks. There are some things that that where the CSS parsers in the in the different browsers are known to to interpret things a little differently. So I've got some, for example, I'll have a I'll have I have a CSS callout where I've deliberately put a backslash in the word because one browser won't understand it, whereas another one will. So there, I mean, the, the the sadly, we're still not at a point where CSS is a is a standard implementation across the board, although mostly Microsoft was guilty in the early versions of IE and and the later versions of IE. The most recent one is is way better. Well, get ready. Because
0: yep. <laughs> it's getting way worse. Yeah, uh, there was an
1: article by the CEO of Opera.
0: And Opera is a wonderful browser company, which has for some time now um, really tried hard to enforce web standards in the face of Microsoft's absolute um, you know, indifference about oh,
1: it. Oh, yeah. IE 5 and 6 were just horrible.
0: Well, he's talking about now IE 8 and what Microsoft's talking about and doing in there. And it, once again, he's saying, you know, essentially what's happened is because Microsoft's so dominant, has eliminated mm-hmm. competition that they just set the standards. They do their own thing and everybody has to follow along. And IE 8 is no better. And this yes. is my problem with those hacks is it's different. Every time a new, a new version comes out, you have to update your code because it'll detect IE 6 It'll detect IE7. Now you got to detect IE8. <sighs> it's, it's a lot of work to maintain CSS. It's just terrible. Uh, he also says, he goes on, I might as well also thank you for teaching me so much through your site and podcasts. A couple of years ago, I could have appreciated the concept of per- perfect paper passwords, but would have had no confidence in being able to implement a working system. All of your hard work and continued sharing is appreciated and highly valued. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. And True. Mike Sermonara of Morristown, New Jersey, poses some drive encryption puzzlers. Put on your thinking cap for this one, Steve. Hey, Steve, I have a simple but important question. I've known about CompuSec for a while now. We talked about it last week. It was put off by its closed-source nature, as we were talking about just a minute ago. I've been waiting for the new version of TrueCrypt, but using it on my laptop is a non-starter because it doesn't support hibernation.
1: That is a big problem. And the good news is it's coming. Oh, good. Yep, the uh the TrueCrypt guys understand that that's a limitation that is going to put some people off and they're going to address it. So since it was discussed on security now and you seem pretty pleased with it, I
0: figured I'd finally give CopySec a shot. There's only one problem. What happens if I need to mount that drive on another system? There's a number of this is because CopySec uses the BIOS, right? It's tied to the system. There's a number of reasons I might need to do this, migrating to a larger drive or if Windows gets hosed and I need the rest of my data. Is it possible to Mount my CompuSec encrypted drive on another system? Shall I go on, or do you want to...
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, If you were to move the CompuSec encrypted drive to a different system, to a different motherboard, it would be okay, because it's the process of booting it. In, In the case of CompuSec, as with TrueCrypt, all of the data needed to decrypt the drive is on the drive itself. So moving it to a different system would work, but there's no way to mount the CompuSec drive. That is, it it needs to be booted in order for its boot time code to function. The only thing you could do would be to boot it one last time, and then as you're booting, you can hit F2 to get some boot options, one of which is decrypt the drive now. And so that, that boot time code can run through the entire drive to decrypt it. Then, of course, you could do anything with it that you wanted to. Stick it as a slave drive of another system, because he was talking about like moving to a larger hard drive, right. where, where you have to have it and a larger drive. Or for but, recovery purposes, too.
0: Correct. Yeah. And by the way, Spinrite would work on that drive, because Spinrite doesn't care about the data. It's just looking at what's underlying it, right? Yes, and we got a question about that coming up. Oh, good, okay. Now he wants to know if TrueCrypt has that same problem. Can TrueCrypt mount an encrypted system partition just like mounting any other TrueCrypt volume? If TrueCrypt could handle this more gracefully, I'd probably be more likely to choose TrueCrypt. Does it do the same? It's the same thing, though, right?
1: I don't know for sure, so that'll be one of the things. That is the question I will answer for sure for next week's... Um Uh, episode uh, show on TrueCrypt, I will have an answer to whether you're able to mount a system production. I sort of think not, but I'll know for sure.
0: Incidentally, Codebreakers, the book I was thinking about, is by David Kahn. I found it on Amazon, K-A-H-N, and he updated it in 96, so it's a little more up-to-date than it used to be. They also have uh, Bruce Schneier's Applied Cryptography, which is, if you really want... Algorithm. That's my Bible. Yeah. I mean, re- <laughs> that, that's, that's
1: code. That's the that's real stuff. Thing.
0: Yeah, I'm talking about the layman stuff. But if you really want the Bible of it, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, Sky Moreno in Yorba Linda, California. That's in Orange County. wonders about Amazon's S3 service going down. It's gone down. It went down last week. We should, I forgot to mention that. Yep. My name is Sky Moreno. I appreciate all you guys do. And to support you, I've purchased a copy of Right And send Twitter $10 a month donation. Thank you, Sky. That money is much appreciated. Those donations are what keeps the day-to-day operation going. I should explain that because we have ads. And I think some people... In fact, I got an email from somebody saying, you know, I see you're taking expensive vacations. I guess I'm not going to send you any more money. Well, I have to explain how this... <laughs> I have to explain how <laughs> this you're all works. You're kidding me. No. Uh, I do have real jobs, which pay well. And, you know, radio and you job, got a, and a TV you job. you've got a family, too, And I Leo. support them with those real jobs. And, frankly, I support Twit with those real <laughs> jobs, too. It's not like... Now now that we're getting advertising, it's a little bit better. But uh, essentially, I donate my time to Twit. Uh, thank goodness I have a real job. And your donations go to the infrastructure, the things I have to pay every month, rent, Dane, uh, servers, uh, equipment. That's where the, that's, those donations and the monthly donations are great because then I know I have a certain budget every month because I know it's going to be consistent. When we get ad revenues, then, as, as, as uh, Steve knows, Twit takes an operating, small operating fee, and then we split the rest with the participants. So essentially, all the ad revenue, uh, but a small part, goes to the people who are doing the shows, as it should be. And that's why the ads are important to me, because they pay people like Steve, who otherwise do this for free. Twit, for the first two years, really was a volunteer operation by me and the uh, hosts. And is only now starting to get on its feet in terms of, and I I still don't draw a salary, but that's all right.
1: Well, and you know, we, we also have toys to buy, Leo. We gotta I mean, pay for I'm, this stuff. This is yeah. Cheap- I mean, I, I dislike, for example, trying to get a promo copy of of um, Iron Key. I I don't you just buy I just, it. I just I just buy it because yeah. you know I don't want to feel like I owe these people a positive review for giving me something, and I don't want to mm-hmm. worry about sending it back. It's like, eh. you know, so we have a serious toy budget around here too. <laughs> so. So we know what all this stuff yeah. is. And, and, and I do have, the same thing. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't take
0: loaners in general. I actually do have a loaner, a rare loaner right now, the uh, MacBook Air, but that's mostly because I didn't want to buy it. Uh, and you know I'm not that impressed by it. It's pretty. You know, I, it's light.
1: It, yeah, but it's not. I mean, you know, compared to the MacBooks, it's like, okay, so it's thinner. Okay, well, thin is good, I guess. I thought, eh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't have to have one. No,
0: so it's like, me neither. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. And so uh, and I could have bought one, but I, I saw, you know, I actually didn't. And they called me up and said, would you like a month loaner? And I said, OK, but normally, like you, I don't want to be beholden. Right. I want to be able to say this thing's crap. <laughs> you know, I want to be able to say that. And when they are, yep. you know, it's hard. And I you, ran my car over right. it. Now I feel much better. You, you might say, oh, well, you can always say that they, they understand. And of course they do. They never say, oh, you gave us a. Well, maybe most of them don't say that you gave us a bad review. But you, there's a human thing that when you yep. when you somebody's very nice and they say, "Oh, please try our product." It's hard to say bad things about it. So yep. I don't. That's why I don't even get to know these people. <laughs> I don't want to know them. I don't want to like them. Exactly. Anyway, he says, "I hope you and Leo keep up the great work." I own a small network integration company down here uh, near Steve in Orange County. After listening to the netcast on Jungle Disk, which both Steve and I use for backup, I immediately signed up and started sending all my family photos out to Amazon. Five thousand five hundred of them. <laughs> I was surprised about them going offline. Wanted your uh, comments on them going dark. Should I and Jungle Disc users like you and Steve worry about this? Well, this
1: caused a great deal of controversy because Amazon had their much ballyhooed. Ninety nine point nine nine percent uptime. Yeah, well, and and their their so called SLA, their service level agreement, is what it's called. That's the jargon in the industry for you know ninety nine. I don't know, was like five nines, ninety nine point nine 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 nine. Anyway, they're not supposed to go down, and it's like, oh, we're spread around the country, and we've got fault tolerance and resilience and self healing mumbo jumbo. And unfortunately, uh, starting about five am pacific time was it i think it was friday they were gone from their west coast facility was down for as much as four hours and then kind of came limping back online and things were slow and there were a number of people who whose businesses depended on amazon s3 that is i mean there were there were photo sharing websites that use s3 as their back end there were you know greeting card companies yeah. and and all kinds of things that were like they were out of business while Amazon was down and you know there were several people who said well you know this cost me $5,000 and i could have bought a couple servers for $5,000 and be doing this myself and so you know my reaction is well um this maybe was a good lesson for people about how not to rely on S3 if you're worried about this? I mean, first of all, it was extremely expensive in terms of Amazon's reputation. This hurt them a lot, which to me means they're going to make sure this doesn't happen a lot. There was, of course, a a a um, a BlackBerry outage not long ago there, too, there and a couple, yeah. I was going to say, and not the first one yeah. that had all the BlackBerry people freaked out for a few hours because they couldn't, you know, they weren't there, there. They couldn't jack in directly into their neural system and get their email the moment it came in. And so so my feeling is, well, I'm not worried because and like you and I do, we use it for backup. Right. So, you know, it is trickling out of my machines as needed. And jungle disc is very robust in the face of my link coming up and down, Amazon coming up and down, my laptop coming up and down, basically, when it's got a connection and everything's working and happy, it sends what it can up to amazon and so i'm not I'm not relying on s three for mission from being able to get access to mission critical data, and I would say, "Well, this is perhaps something that people want to consider." When you use an outsourcing service, I mean, imagine what would happen if the Internet went down. You know, we know all why it really can't, because it's just so f- phenomenally redundant and was designed for, for the packets to be able to find a way around. And ISPs, well, we, there are ISP outages, and of course there are attacks which cause problems. But in general, you know, it stays up pretty much and is, and is robust. But when you rely on a service like this, well, you need to think about what happens when it's down.
0: Yeah, and I you know, I, I think they're still going to be pretty reliable. They say it wasn't their servers. It was their authentication got overloaded. Too many people were using it. <laughs> yep. Got to beef that up. There. Beef that up. Yep. Jeffrey, Columbia, Maryland, wonders about whole drive encryption, backup, and imaging. Steve, I encrypted my entire hard drive with TrueCrypt. I do have a question that comes to mind. <laughs> Now now since I'm using full disk encryption, do I have to decrypt my entire drive before I make a backup image of the partition that has my OS on it? I tried using Acronis true image on it after I encrypted it. Acronis knew where the partition was but didn't recognize the file format of the partition. Obviously, this is because it's encrypted and it's just random data. It would let me make an image still if I wanted to, which I did not. Is this one of the downfalls of full disk encryption? How do you make an image of
1: it? Well I yeah. Have to, yeah. Really, really interesting. A couple things. First of all, um, there's a complete difference between – and we'll discuss this further next week, but I just – I did want to address the question. I mean I, I felt a little – I did a little up in the air as I was reading through these, these questions that people had sent because I still want to talk about TrueCrypt. I didn't want to – hold these off until the QA after TrueCrypt because I figured, okay, we'll put this right in between Free CompUSec and TrueCrypt. So, you know, it, it sort of answers some questions that we'll be dealing with in more detail next week. Um, the, the real issue is whether you're doing an imaging inside of Windows or your OS in the case of TrueCrypt or outside. So, and, and there are, there's some impact. For example, if you if you're using a an external imager, um, as I as I assume a Cronus must be. Certainly, I know that PowerQuest's Drive Image is It's the same. Yeah, it's just it's software and sort of like an external ghosting of of, of the partition. Right. You know, the, 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 but but it runs. For example, it boots itself or boots. No, it, it runs, runs or, within Windows. Okay. Well, now this is different. Then, um,
0: if you use an external imager, I see what you're saying. Like Ghost, which you have to boot to.
1: Uh, ghost or exactly or or drive image from PowerQuest right. that was one I was using for years years ago, um before Symantec sucked them up and killed them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, there it's going to see first of all several things. It's going to give you no compression, and the imaging that gives you compression is very handy because the imagers often recognize the file system. They know not to bother saving empty sectors and. Lord Hopus on a if you've got a five uh, a five hundred gig drive, hopefully you're not using all of that. So it's a real saving for the imager not to be able to, not to have to image data that's not in the file system and to be able to compress it. Well if you're running an external imager and the drive is compressed, the, intri- the entire drive just looks like an opaque blob of pseudo-random data. Maybe the external imager won't work at all. PowerQuest is pretty finicky, and I'll bet it would not have worked at all. It wouldn't have even offered to do just a... Um, a a snapshot of whatever this blob It could do a is. bit copy, though, right? I mean, it could go uh, bit by bit, yeah. well, sector a, copy. an imager could, but I don't think the PowerQuest drive image does because it complains if anything is wrong uh. with the partition. So it's really caring about it. He says that, that this thing would have been able to make um, an image, so perhaps that's the case. Now, I've already experimented with my favorite in-Windows imager, which is drive snapshot. And because it's running in Windows, it's asking it's asking the device driver for the drive image data, which decrypts it on the way to it. So what's interesting is that, and this is an important thing for people to recognize, is in the case of drive snapshot, you still get the, the compression benefit and the unused space not being stored benefit but you end up with a decrypted backup mm. so your so your backup is decrypted That's because it was it was done by windows at, uh, on behalf of the program running in windows so again you would then want to maybe manually encrypted or or maybe run drive image into a an encrypted file container in TrueCrypt that we'll talk be talking about next week, that would give you a still encrypted image. So there are ways around this, but it's definitely the case that imaging changes relative to whole drive encryption. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I actually hadn't even thought of that, so that's good to know. Would, he says, should I make uh, uh, unencrypt, make images and re-encrypt? Does that, that sounds like the way to do it then.
1: Well, it really depends upon what you your tool have is. Image, yeah, yeah, it really depends upon what your tool is. If you, for example, say that you had to use the old PowerQuest drive image that booted DOS and then ran outside, it, then you would have you'd have no choice but to decrypt your entire drive, leave Windows, image the drive, whoa, and then again, remember, the image is again non-encrypted so you've made a non-encrypted image then you'd have to re-encrypt the whole drive to get back in so it's like yeah that seems like the wrong thing i think the solution would be to use something like maybe a a cronus will do it um the question would be does true image you know how does it work i'm not familiar with it it's not the one i use i i use drive snapshot and i know because i've experimented with it it already that it works beautifully on a true encrypted volume uh, or for that matter, on a free CompuSect crypted volume, but it's and you get the compression benefit it makes a smaller image, all things which I like, then you encrypt it, for example, using a true crypt file container in order to or just do a standalone encryption of that file. So it's safe and it's small. And I think it's much nicer to have much smaller images yes, than I to agree. just take a, I mean, literally a sector-by-sector sector copy of the physical entire drive. That's right, that's right. big.
0: Jeffrey of uh, Columbia, Maryland, wonders about whole drive encryption, backup, and imaging. Oh, we already did that one. Uh, you're right. We did. Number nine. <laughs> Here we go. Isaac, a proud Spinrite owner, I'm glad to say, in New Orleans, wonders, Hey, Steve. I was just listening to episode 131, last episode, hearing you explain the uh, free CompuSex driver handoff procedure. And I wondered, what happens if Windows doesn't work and you need to run the recovery console to repair it? Well, that's a good question. Does CompuSex boot driver support the Windows boot disk repair procedure and third-party SCSI SATA driver installation? that That's when you press that F6 thing and, and, and put a disk in if not, does that mean that the console will find no installed versions of Windows, since it's all just random noise on the drive?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. And I, I should say, here we are at the Q&A between the, comp, the free CompuSec episode last week and the TrueCrypt episode next week. Yeah. And and I've got to say, uh, I'm very, very impressed with TrueCrypt. I'm going to go into detail about how they compare and why I'm so impressed with Truecrypt but essentially I was doing the free compusec whole drive encryption research prior to the release of Truecrypt 5 and I didn't know when that would be happening so in my in my opinion Although the free CompUSec system has many other features way beyond. You know, we talked about, I mean, it'll basically encrypt and decrypt every channel in and out of your machine, um, you know, standalone drives, your network connection, just sort of everything. It really locks down a system from an encryption standpoint, whereas TrueCrypt only deals with what we know, you know, uh, storage encryption, decryption on the fly stuff. My point is, if that's all you need, I really think TrueCrypt is a superior solution, and I'll be explaining exactly why it's superior next week. So, so I did want to entertain this question about FreeCompusec since we had talked about it, of course, last week. But, um, in my opinion, well, for example, I've removed FreeCompusec from that system and is now running whole drive oh, wow. encryption under TrueCrypt. Oh, wow. So absolutely, you got is. a lot of listeners who started using CompuSec
0: after last week. Going, wait a minute! Hold
1: <laughs> yep. lo- th- on there, are, there. There are many reasons why TrueCrypt that came along afterwards is superior, and I've switched over to it. But to answer Isaac's question, if you had a problem and Windows would not boot, there is an option. You hit F two as Free CompuSec is booting. Oh. that that gives you an emergency de. Encryption menu that would then allow it to sit there, uncrypt the drive, put it back to its original condition, and then whatever it is that Windows wants to do, if you need to do, you know, a recovery console or anything wacky, it's it's then decrypted so you can proceed with whatever you want to do.
0: Interesting. That's a good solution.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nice and it's good that they have it, but I'm not using it anymore. <laughs>
0: Well, well, okay. (laughs) well, we'll find out more about that next week when we talk about uh, TrueCrypt and the new TrueCrypt 5, which has this full disk encryption technique. Um, But in general, Isaac's absolutely right. Because it is random code, you're not going to be able to do the recovery thing unless you decrypt first.
1: Yeah, I'm it. It'd be interesting to experiment with the recovery console. I didn't because, you know, there is this handoff going on, which is how both TrueCrypt and um, FreeCompusec work. That is, you're booting running decryption code, which is it's probably intercepting Interrupt 13, as I mentioned last week. Interrupt 13 is the BIOS routine, which Pretty much all software starts using in order to get itself going, and then as the OS boots, there's a handoff between interrupt 13, which is the BIOS's original technology for reading sectors from the disk, and the system's own protected mode driver, which then takes over. So, so, but that driver uh, does not run in Windows. That's a kind of a
0: BIOS level driver, effectively.
1: Well, there's there's two drivers. There's the there's the external free CompuSec true crypt code, which has to intercept the BIOS in order to decrypt the contents on the fly. And where does that code? Does that code live in the boot record? I mean, where does that code live? Well, now that's very interesting because uh, there's a question. In fact, we're about to. Oh, no. Wait, where is the question? We didn't have the question. Oh. Oh no! It's it's one of our last. It's it's Coming one up. of our last two, eleven okay. or twelve, okay. which was a really interesting interaction that this guy had with in his application where application, whereas Free CompuSec would work. Interesting. Free Free CompuSec, because I looked at the first track of the drive, fr- wondering if Free CompuSec's code was there, mm-hmm. and it's not. What they do is. Their boot sector, that first sector of the drive that contains the partition table at the end of the boot sector, it references some physical sectors out on the disk in the Windows partition, which are locked and prevented Ah. from moving. After Free CompuSec was installed, because I was doing this benchmarking of it, remember that I determined that it had about a 9% Performance overhead. I noticed that there was a bunch of regions of the drive that were now locked that would that would that were resistant to any defragging because their physical positions were known to the boot sector. So the free CompuSec code itself lives out in the Windows partition. What's different about TrueCrypt is that TrueCrypt puts itself down in that first track, and that can cause some
0: problems. Ah, that makes sense. So they do have to load before Windows loads, obviously, or they wouldn't be able to load Windows. So if your recovery occurs after they're loaded, then you'd be able to do the recovery stuff.
1: Yeah, except that the system...
0: Recovery is booting from the CD, them. though, so you wouldn't be able to do it because the CD doesn't know to load the thing.
1: Well, and there's also the the recovery console... That, or or like the various like safe mode boots right. where you might be you might not be loading a, a special driver oh. as part of safe mode boot, so it is which, loading you know
0: as a windows driver, it's not loading pre windows well, it's both, it's both, and that's the
1: cool thing about this, and this is actually it's why it's hard to do it's right. it's why there isn't a lot of this being done now is that it's both you need decryption outside of Windows until Windows gets going. And then you need a pre-installed Windows driver that can take over and continue decrypting as Windows boots and from then on. So there's an outside and an inside portion to all of these solutions. Got it.
0: So really, the answer to his question is, well, depends. Um, Or better, it probably
1: doesn't. Well, the answer to his question was that... There is a solution, which is if Windows was having trouble... Oh, yeah, I see. You use the boot You hit console, F2 uh, to get console. in right. and like do the emergency decryption, right. is what right. Free CompuSec Got calls it. it. Got it. Got and, of it. course, TrueCrypt has a whole bunch of options that we'll be talking about next week. <laughs> <laughs> so you better listen.
0: Matthew Simmons in Raleigh, North Carolina, wonders about confusing Spinrite. Steve, I don't own a copy of Spinrite, nor do I have a drive encrypted with either Free CompuSec or TrueCrypt, but... Both are things I keep thinking about how I should do. My question is, what happens between Spinrite and... Oh, yeah, this is the one you were talking about. We're going to answer, yeah. Between Spinrite and whole drive encryption? Presumably, Spinrite can still determine the bad blocks, but can it recover the data if the drive is just filled with what looks like random noise? And how can Spinrite tell what is real data and what is broken data? Doesn't care, I presume. Similarly, how resistant are TrueCrypt and FreeCompuSec to hard drive failures or partial
1: failures through bad blocks? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, not not necessarily the Spinrite portion, but the question of how resilient are TrueCrypt and FreeCompusec to hard drive failures or partial failures through bad blocks, as he says. First of all, um, Spinrite is able to operate on just a blank drive. It you know one you just get open it you know take it out of its it's hermetically sealed electrostatically proof plastic bag and stick it on spinright spinright doesn't care what you've got. It won't it'll just show you that you've got a blank drive. If you've got a partition table with partitions, SpinRite will show those to you and you're able to choose which ones you want to run it on if you don't want to run it on the whole drive, or you can choose them all. So so we were talking earlier about the one cool thing in spinright is it's Dynastat data recovery, that is, the ability to, to recover portions of sectors, that is, to recover all but the unreadable part, essentially. Now, one of the features of whole drive encryption is that, that they encrypt on a sector level, that is, sector by sector. So, so each sector is encrypted individually. But they use a technology similar to what we've talked about before, similar to the cipher block chaining CBC mode, which means that that all of the data that you're encrypting is dependent upon all of the data that you have already encrypted or decrypted, which means that that does create a subtle weakness in this technology. That uh-huh. is to say um, – If you if there was some data early in the sector, which was unreadable, then there is no way to to decrypt the rest of it. Or that is to say, in in Spinrite's case, Spinrite would still do a partial data recovery, but because the entire sector had been encrypted, you'd still lose all of the sector from that point on rather than. Being able to recover the rest of it from that point. Well, and on. this is the
0: problem with encryption in general, and full disk encryption especially, is that it's a, a, a failure can be more catastrophic.
1: But but well, again, I want to. I don't want to scare people off because remember, it's limited to one sector, ah. and the fact is, only Spinrite of any utility in the world can can recover parts of sectors. Right. So so. You know, it, and this is why the people who are doing whole disk encryption are saying, "Oh no, there's no difference because normally an unreadable sector is unreadable, right. and so you've lost the sector. So the fact that you've created in sort of internal encryption that makes the sector more brittle normally doesn't result in any." You know, in any loss, because you've lost the whole sector anyway. Which only with Spinrite is that not true, because it can perform and does perform partial sector recovery. So it's like, well, okay. So there's a slight loss if you were a Spinrite user, and there you could have been benefit. You uh, a partial sector recovery would have given you some benefit. Okay, so you can't get that on that one sector if you were using whole drive encryption. It's like, eh, it's, or, or any of the, you know, I mean, all of the encryption is, is working in small blocks like that. So it's like, OK, so there's some subtle weakness, but I would say it's not significant. The thing Especially,
0: that's good to know is that, it, that, that these encryption, full disk encryption technologies work sector by sector. So a loss of a sector isn't, doesn't is mean loss of the whole thing. It's, it's, it's localized. Yes. Is yes, there a be- part of, is there, are there any special sectors that if you lose those, you're, you're going to have more catastrophic data loss?
1: Um, that, yes, but that's always been the case with a file system, except right. file systems that are extremely resilient right. for for loss. That that like maintain redundant indexes and right. things. You know, the right. the classic is you in the old FAT days. If you lost the first sector of the root directory, you were hosed. Right. I there mean, was it was no just you, you had no right. way to get to anything else, and and. And of course, the FAT was important—the file allocation table, which is why there were two copies of the FAT. Because all—it's funny though, because DOS wrote two copies, but never used the second copy. Oh, I
0: I think sometimes if in a. a Catastrophic loss. Some program. Some pro. I remember. I think Norton would recover that second from the second uh, fat. Yes,
1: and there were certain. And and Spinright was very aware of the second copy oh, of the okay, fat, good, right. and and would automatically fall back to that. But DOS itself never know. read the second copy <laughs> it, of the it, fat. It, it was even for utility purposes, not for. Even though it maintained it, yes. Interesting. And and so, it is important to note that we had a a question popped up in this in the security now news group in our in our uh, newsnet forums last week uh, after the free CompuSec discussion. One guy wrote that his boss was, you know, wished he had their laptops encrypted, but he was really afraid to do that because he believed encrypting the drive made a loss of any area. Much more, like it would spread throughout the drive, where they could lose the whole file system. That is absolutely not the case. So, so encryption is constrained to individual sectors, and it's it's done on with that boundary. So it's it's really no more brittle than a non-encrypted drive. Except for this weird case where you're using Spinrite, and you could have
0: recovered the, uh, some of it. Yes, but that's yeah, yeah. Uh, are you are you ready? For the tremendous observation of the week and the cool hack of the week award. (laughs) I love it. I love these, Steve. You gave the award. You know what I'm talking about, but I'll tell you what, we're going to keep our listeners in suspense. Before we do that, I want to mention Astaro, our great sponsor. They've been our sponsor now. They're in their third year of supporting security now. That alone should encourage you to run out and get an Astaro security gateway. But if you need more, let me tell you more. First of all, you know, in this whole closed source, uh, open source conversation, Astaro I think does the right thing. They are uh, they are essentially open source, but they use closed source where needed. So it's basically best of breed in either category. It's in fact, I think one of the few tools that gives you the best of breed in every category, and where where it's appropriate to use open source, as in for instance their uh, OpenPGP support, which is built in. They'll use open source, and where there is no, you know, you need to use a commercial source, as in. Uh, the antivirus, they have three antiviruses in this thing. Uh They've got two antiviruses for email and then another antivirus filtering content on the web to avoid these malware infested sites. You know, did you, go- did you see this? Google did a did a survey of all their sites and they said some huge number, something like 10 percent of all sites had malware on them.
1: Yeah, I think that I think a lot of these must be like bogus. I mean, yeah, they're these they're are like th- bogus download sites just to lure people in to get Google to index them, and then say, "Oh look, you know, download your software here," and it's it's junk on it.
0: Exactly. I got mean, to I got to find that story because I want to give you the number. I, I, let me let me. Do, I don't want to scare you before I do the Astaro spy. I'll Scare you after the Astaro, the Astaro spy The point is, Astaro protects you from that. It does filter incoming web traffic. It allows you to control it, control what your users are doing in instant messaging and peer to peer. There's anti-spyware, antivirus, content filtering. There's transparent email encryption, as I mentioned, using OpenPGP or S/MIME. There is SSL VPN as well as IPsec and L2TP over IPsec and PPTP tunneling. I mean, this is this is one box size of a router, maybe a little bigger that does everything. And not only that, as you grow, Astaro will grow with you. Astaro's active-active clustering allows you to have as many as ten security gateways. Without additional load balancing, so you 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 know as you grow, you just plug in another one and another one and another one. They've got a patent uh, pending on this one. It's that good. Astaro is amazing, but you don't have to take our word for it. I want you to go to Astaro's website a s t a r o or call them eight seven seven the number four Astaro. You can arrange for a free demo in your business eight seven seven the number four a s t a r o. Should also mention that if you're a Pix user, a Cisco Pix user, and you know that. Uh, Cisco has, a, has announced to end, end of life on these Pixes and you've got to replace it. Astaro has a special upgrade offer for you. Call them eight seven seven four Astaro, or visit them online. If you're a non-commercial user, you can download the complete Astaro suite to run on your beige box, your computer lying around in the corner. That's at a s t a r o dot com slash security. Now, we just love these guys; they're great, great sponsors. They've been really great for us, and I hear so many good things from our listeners all the time who use Astaro. Just got an email from a guy in Australia who wanted us and Astaro to know that not only does he use Astaro because of this show, but he has told many, many friends, and they use it too. You know, IT guys talk. That's why they say Astaro. A-S-T-A-R-O dot com. We thank them for their support of Security Now. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Tremendous Tremendous Observation observation of the 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 Week. week. (laughs) Dane, can you put a little echo behind that? Just, you know, give it that, (laughs) what it needs there, a little echo. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. This is from Steve Nicholas in the UK. Hi, Steve. Having heard your recommendation of free CompuSec. See, I'm telling you, a lot of people heard that and they said, ooh. Yeah, I know. We got got to try that out. Um, I had a look at their website but found several postings in their forums regarding the fact that it doesn't, does not create a recovery CD. This prompted me to try TrueCrypt 5.0A. He'd already used TrueCrypt. And I encrypted my entire f- disk system disk with no problems. However, after several days of smooth running, I opened Macromedia Dreamweaver for the first time since encrypting the disk. Dreamweaver told me it needed activating, and I had to let it connect to Macromedia again and activate itself, which it did successfully. Everything was fine until I rebooted my CPC and then found the TrueCrypt bootloader froze after I entered my password. Ooh, that's scary. Mm. he did it's scary he repaired it he repaired it using the TrueCrypt recovery CD it booted okay again I then opened Dreamweaver and it again wanted to activate itself and after doing so couldn't boot again so it looks to me like Dreamweaver has some copy protection built in that modifies the MBR or uh, something and stops TrueCrypt's bootloader from working I bet you're right that's bad behavior on Macromedia's part it sure is actually we should say Adobe which owns it now restoring the bootloader must then overwrite this copy protection then dreamweaver it's a loop wants to be activated again then the bootloader gets overwritten i've now my uh, unencrypted my disk as i need dreamweaver for my work and i'm unsure whether to try free copysec as if applications can over uh, write the mbr a bootloader and free copysec doesn't create a recovery cd thank goodness truecrypt does uh-huh. and then i'd have to have reformat my drive and i'd lost everything just to let you know this complication as i'm sure it can't only be dreamweaver that can cause this problem i'm sure others in fact the chances are good this is leo now that adobe didn't make this technology but licenses it as most piracy measures are from another company which means other companies are probably using it so it's probably not just dreamweaver
1: well what's going on here and and um the 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 experience that um steve nicholas reports i mean makes it very clear we've got two different systems that are fighting over territory right there is, um, as I as I um, know from reading the, the TrueCrypt docs so far, TrueCrypt's code puts itself down in that first track. And remember that last week I was explaining that the very first track, the 63 sectors, the first 63 sectors of the drive, the first one is this partition sector and, and partition table, which is actually executed code. And then the 62 sectors which follow it are normally empty because because by by not necessarily by design but by practice, partitions always start on even track boundaries, so it starts though so the first partitions since since the first. Track has been ruined essentially by that one sector being taken that partition table sector being taken. the first partition is forced to be bumped to the end of that first track at the at, to the beginning of the second track that leaves the rest of the first track free, which is where true crypt lives. Free Compusec does not live there, so it would probably be the case that that Steve could um Use free CompuSec if he wanted to. On the other hand, free CompuSec doesn't have nearly the robustness of recovery from disaster, which is one of the reasons I like TrueCrypt so much. I'll be talking about it next week. TrueCrypt gives you no choice. But to make a recovery CD, you can't encrypt your drive oh, until, you, until you prove to them huh. that you have one. In fact, it, got, it was bugging me so much, I found an ISO loader so I could <laughs> fake it out and say, yes, yeah, darn one. it, I made a CD. Here, sniff this CD and you can see for yourself. Because I was, I was, you know, doing all kinds of testing, and I was burning up CDs. I said, "Okay, enough Uh. of this." So, um, so anyway, I'll give people a a, a pointer to that if they want to be experimenting with this. But um, what this essentially means is that, as you said, Leo, Dream Weaver is it, and we talked about this, in fact, relative to. To boot sector viruses. Remember that there are there are some root systems now, some root kits which are essentially working just like whole drive encryption in as much as they get control before the operating system do. Well, they're able to install themselves because Windows is not protecting the first track of the hard drive, which is the way. Dreamweaver is able to right. reach down outside of the partition and make some changes down there, which is where they're storing their DRM, their activation scheme, whatever. They're just probably tweaking a few bytes. The problem is that now TrueCrypt is living in those bytes, so it's uh, it's very good that TrueCrypt is being as um you know as picky as it is about forcing people to make boot CDs, because people might go, oh, I really don't have to do that. And in fact, uh, you really do want to do that.
0: You know, and I have to say, this
1: is probably bad behavior on Dreamweaver's part. I really don't like it on Dreamweaver's part. I agree. I don't think that they ought to be going down and mucking around with the hard drive because you know there's going to be all kinds of unintended, uh, unintended side effects. And in fact, what they ought to do at the minimum is to see if there's all zeros in the area that they want to occupy. And if there's, if somebody appears to be living there, then they do something else. I don't know what, but I mean, I guess my point is there are many, there are obviously many other ways to achieve the same effect because everybody else manages to achieve the same effect without mucking around with the first track of the drive. I hope that this hurts them and they, they get their hands slapped for doing this and, you know, come up with some alternative because they really ought to. Well, there you go. And I bet, and as I said, I bet you
0: others are doing it. It's probably not just Dreamweaver. Nah. Um, you know, I understand because what they want to do is write something where you can't see it. It's not part of the file system. Right. So that you can't, you know, end around it. But now everybody knows it's in the master boot record. <laughs> so I don't know. I, You know, this is a dubious fix anyway, a dubious yep. protection anyway. Peter Burtis in North Conway, New Hampshire wins the cool hack of the week award. Dear Steve. I thought you and your Security Now listeners might get a kick out of this. I'm a technology consultant out of New Hampshire. I should probably read it more like, I was very interested when you mentioned TrueCrypt. Now did boot drive encryption, because that's exactly the solution one of my clients is looking for. But I run Macs, whereas my client runs Windows. Not wanting to experiment on my client systems, I thought, well, what the heck, I'll try it on VMware just for fun, knowing it should work in theory. Ah, interesting but also more than half expecting to brick my virtual PC because of the intricacies involved. Long story short, nope, didn't brick the PC. It worked flawlessly. The bootloader comes up on power on, which is in quotes because, of course, you're already powered up. It's just mounting the virtual machine. starting up the VM, right? Asks for the password. And from then on in, you'd never know you weren't running on a stock copy of Vista VMware. I wonder what they do if they have to write the master boot record. I guess there's still a master boot record on that, on that drive image.
1: Oh, absolutely. It looks just like a hard drive yeah. with a boot sector. You can do multi-boot boot loaders, everything you want to. I mean, it really is identical.
0: Clever. These guys are so clever. In fact, that's what he says. It's a
1: testament to the great programmers at VMware
0: and TrueCrypt that both of their applications work exactly the way you'd hope they work even under very unusual conditions. I don't really have an application for this beyond goofing around, but I imagine some security-minded person out there might, so I thought I'd share an interesting bonus. You can inspect the virtual machine's drive file using a hex editor on the host system, which I've done. And for what my layman's eyes can see, compared to a similar non-encrypted Vista VM, it is really truly encrypted, just as advertised. Random bits. Thanks for such a great podcast. You and Leo are a big part of why I'm so successful at what I do. Well, thank you, Peter. P.S., Spinright saved my bacon 2 weeks ago. I won't bore you with the same old story. Mother's lap. I mean we could do this now. Shorthand. Mother's laptop never backed up. Power failure. Worst possible nanosecond. BSOD on boot. Spinright saves it. So thanks for that too. I love that. We need to have like a little checkbox. <laughs> Grandma's laptop, mother's laptop, wife's laptop,
1: your laptop. Yep, Never backed backed up, up, uh, uh, desperately needed the data that was on there. Isn't
0: it it always the case that the drive fails on the day you need that drive most? Right, right. Well, that's a great letter. Thank you, Peter, for your kind words. And that's a clever solution and actually not surprising.
1: Yeah, I think that's very cool. If if someone wanted to play around with TrueCrypt but either didn't have a PC or, for whatever reason, didn't want to actually do it to their machine... They could see what it's all about by running it in a in a virtual context, and it works just fine there. Ta da! Next week, next is week. TrueCrypt
0: version five Hey, just out of curiosity, would Free CompuSec would do the same thing with VMware, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, any any it should work with both. All right, yes. next week I'm really excited about this. TrueCrypt five is out, and uh, not only is it uh, does it add a lot of features, including full disk encryption. It's Mac compatible. And cross-platform compatible, so you can on a Mac read a TrueCrypt disk encrypted on a Windows machine. I, I understand it at least to be the case, but we'll yep. find out. You'll talk about it.
1: Yep, and we're going to also talk in more detail about the the traveler mode, which is so nice for it being able to encrypt, for example, a USB thumb drive. And the reason we're going to talk about that is that again will straddle into. The episode two weeks from then, when we're gonna have the founder of Iron Key as our special guest on our Iron Key podcast. So we'll do of course a QA in between, but then the week after that, we'll have the Iron Key guide. So we will have talked about using TrueCrypt for something similar to what Iron Key does in hardware, because their big claim to fame is, you know, true hardware encryption in the key itself and all kinds of neat you know weird effects like they deliberately pot this thing in solid epoxy so that if by mistake you do run over it in your car or your truck (laughs) it will it's uncrushable because it's it's filled with solid epoxy and of course that also makes it a little more tricky for the bad guys to get to it so that'll be in uh, several weeks but we will talk about the traveler mode of true crypt uh, specifically uh, next week because it's something that lots of people care about and in fact my Um, The little uh, four gig uh, thumb I keep on my keychain is now true cryptid because it it really works nicely. Excellent.
0: Well, folks, if you want to know more or you want to see Steve's super duper new CSS menus, go to GRC.com. Makes it a lot easier to find all the things you're looking for, including in the security now section, show notes, transcriptions, even 16 kilobit versions of every show, all 132 episodes so that you can download them quickly on dial up. Uh, of course, if you got broadband, you'll want the full quality version, the 64K version. Do you offer the 64K version as well? Yep. Okay. Also, yes, so you have both of those. And then uh, you do you? I you know, I never asked you this. You do link through Podtrack on those, I hope.
1: Yes, we redirect to you oh, so good. that okay. they're being counted
0: there because we we don't want to miss a single one of yous. The reason we do that redirect for those of you security minded, I probably should mention this too, because there's security minded folks saying, "Wait a minute, what's this site I'm going through here?" Uh, we redirect through PodTrack, which is our ad agency, and it's a very simple redirect. They just count how many people are downloading the show because that's how we uh, sell it to advertisers. So uh, what happens It's a simple redirect, goes through PodTrack. They have a very uh, sophisticated system. In fact, they have data—I – I didn't know this, Steve, but they have a database of IP addresses um, so that they can compare to make sure that you are a legitimate IP address. They're not keeping track of you, but they want to make sure that you are a unique IP address coming from a real place so oh, to, to to actually improve they validate the quali- them. Yeah. And
1: improve the quality of their accounting
0: well advertisers want that in fact i think it's a it's yep. an advantage that we and the thousands of other podcasters who use podtrack have is that the numbers you get from podtrack are dead accurate and it, very conservative yeah well and advertisers like that too of course you know.
1: yeah. <laughs> but they
0: we you know they can never say oh you're inflating your numbers we we know each and every one of those people uh, has, uh, you know, is downloading the show, and once they get counted once and only once. Anyway, long story short, that's why it goes through there. GRC.com, You can get those. You can also. He's now got that menu for all his great utilities and site wide search is there too. Site wide search. Don't forget, uh, of course, Shields Up, which is a great firewall tester, and he's got a lot of other cool stuff. And last but certainly not least, that's the home of SpinRight, and you've heard us talk about that. Several times today, <laughs> more than several times. It is the hard drive recovery and maintenance utility. It's just really a useful tool. Um, and I use it, and I know a lot of people do and are very happy. GRC.com. Save out of time. Tomorrow or next week, I should say, TrueCrypt. TrueCrypt 5.0. 5.0. And uh, we'll see you then.
1: Talk to it in, Leo. Security now.